Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 4. Tales of the Immortals. We have met some of the Olympians. In this chapter, we will get to know all of the most important of the rest, except for the Lord of the Underworld, who will have to wait until the next chapter. Apollo and Artemis were twins, the son and daughter of Zeus and Leto, daughter of the Titans Koyos and Phoebe. They were born on the island of Delos, far away from the jealousy of Hera. Apollo was the god of healing, music and the arts, but also, more importantly, of prophecy. He brought order, harmony, reason and moderation. Like Zeus and Poseidon, he had a special weapon. Apollo used a silver bow whose arrows could bring plague and death. He also played the lyre and was the greatest musician that there was. Apollo, though, was sometimes unlucky in love. He often punished the women gods who rejected him. One poor girl, called Cassandra, was given the gift of prophecy, but she was also cursed. Although she foretold the future accurately, nobody ever believed her. Also, for a nice and fair god, Apollo really did kill an awful lot of people and creatures. Artemis was the goddess of hunting, but she was also responsible for looking after the wild animals. This seems a bit strange. Perhaps she looked after them so there'd be plenty left to kill. She also watched over the birth of children. Like her brother, she liked to use the bow and arrow. She wore animal skins and was often surrounded by animals, usually deer. She was a very beautiful woman and had the ability to heal, but also to bring plague or sudden death to mortals. Again, like her brother, she did a fair bit of killing. When Apollo was born, Themis fed him on ambrosia and nectar, and he grew up very quickly. Apparently, his first words were, The lyre and the curved bow will be my special things, and I shall prophesy to men the will of Zeus. These are quite impressive first words, and Apollo was true to them. He went straight to Mount Parnassus to fight his mother's enemy, a great serpent called Python. He wounded the creature with his arrows, and it fled to the oracle at Delphi, said to be the centre of the world. Apollo followed him to the oracle and killed him. Zeus punished the young god, but he took no notice and decided he wanted the oracle for himself. From that day on, it became the oracle of Apollo and the most famous oracle in the world. As soon as Apollo had taken the oracle, he invited his mother and sister to visit. During the visit, Leto was praying when she was suddenly attacked by a giant called Titios. Apollo and Artemis killed him with a load of arrows. The poor giant was forced into the underworld, and his hands and legs were tied and pegged to the ground. Two vultures forever fed on his liver. This is not a very nice punishment, but as we shall see, is the kind of thing that seemed to happen to people who crossed the gods. Apollo was very proud of his musical ability, and did not put up with anyone challenging it. He was challenged to a contest by Marcius, who was a satyr, a god who was half man and half goat. Marcius had found a musical instrument called the Aeolus, which was a type of double-piped flute, invented and then thrown away by Athena. He played it and decided he loved the sound and eventually became so good he thought he was better than Apollo. Big mistake. The muses were given the job of judging the competition. Marcias played and his music was judged to be wonderful. Apollo played and his music was also judged to be wonderful. The poor muses couldn't make up their minds. Apollo was very annoyed and so he said to Marcias, I challenge you to do with your musical instrument as I can do with mine. He then turned his lyre upside down 
and played it while singing a beautiful song. Of course you can't do this with pipes, and Marcias was beaten. Apollo laughed, and had poor Marcias whipped until he was dead. Artemis showed her strength when two giant mortals, brothers called Otos and Epialtes, threatened to do battle with the gods. They declared they were so strong they would pile Mount Ossa on Mount Olympus, and then Mount Pelion on Mount Ossa. They would reach the heavens and destroy the gods. Nobody believed them, but they managed to stack the mountains on top of each other and reach the heavens. Once they were there, they tied up Ares and attacked Hera and Artemis. Artemis killed them with a clever trick. She turned herself into a deer and ran between them, just as they were each throwing spears. At the last moment she dodged the spears, each of which flew past her and hit the other brother, killing them both. But enough of all this killing. What about children? Artemis never married and never had children. Apollo never married either, but he did have lots of girlfriends and lots of children. Most famously, he was the father of Asclepios, who became the greatest healer on earth. Sadly, Asclepios took this gift of healing a little bit too far, and he brought a dead person back to life. This was completely against the rules. Bringing mortals back to life was seen stealing souls from Hades, and Zeus was not having it. He killed Asclepios with a thunderbolt. Most of the gods would have realised that this was fair enough and not made much of a fuss. Apollo, though, was furious. In revenge for Zeus killing his son, Apollo killed the Cyclops who made the lightning bolts for the king of the gods. Zeus was absolutely livid, and he was about to banish Apollo to Tartarus for ever, but Leto pleaded for him, and Zeus let him off. Apollo was made to do a year of hard labour tending sheep. After this, he learned his lesson and became a fairer and more moderate god. Ares, on the other hand, was definitely not a fair and moderate god. The son of Zeus and Hera, he was the god of war. Unlike Athena, Ares loved war because he loved war. He was really the god of fighting and battle chaos. He loved battles, death and slaughter. He didn't really care who won, he just liked war. He was supported by his sister Eris, who was the goddess of conflict and strife. Eris had a golden apple called the Apple of Discord. She loved to throw the apple into the middle of a group of friends so that everyone wanted it. Then she would sit back and watch them fight over it, while her brother urged them on. Although he usually won, Ares was not always successful in battle, particularly when fighting Athena. Ares was rude, arrogant and unpleasant, and none of the other gods could stand him, not even his parents. He was aggressive and annoying. The only one of the Olympians who liked him, as we have seen, was Aphrodite. Their two sons, called Phobos and Deimos, were nearly as aggressive and annoying as their father. They accompanied Ares on the battlefield and made the fighting men frightened. Phobos was the god of fear, and Deimos the god of dread. Ares had a few other children, mostly mortals. In general, they were as bloodthirsty and generally unpleasant as their father. Kyknos would cut off the heads of strangers and then use the skulls to make a temple to his father. Diomedes fed human flesh to his horses. King Oinomaros of Elis forced his daughter's boyfriends into chariot races with him, in which they were usually killed. Then he nailed their heads to the walls of his palace. Lovely kids for a lovely father. The Greeks really didn't do too much worshipping of Ares, but the Romans, who called him Mars, worshipped him a lot. It is said that two of his children were twins called Romulus and Remus. These two children were, of course, the founders of Rome. 
Hephaestus was an unusual god. Unlike most of the Olympians, he was not a perfect-looking and physically magnificent specimen. The son of Hera, he was a very weak baby, and Hera was not at all proud of him. She was so embarrassed, in fact, that she threw the poor baby from the top of Mount Olympus in order to get rid of him. Hephaestus, being immortal, was not harmed, and fell into the sea, where he was brought up by a Nereid called Thetis and an Oceanid named Eurynome. They kept him in their underwater world, and he began to take an interest in metalwork. He was soon the finest smith in the world, and made beautiful jewellery for his rescuers. Nine years later, Hera bumped into Thetis and was amazed by how beautiful her brooch was. "'My dear,' she asked, "'where did you get that wonderful jewel?' Thetis didn't want to admit that she'd saved Hephaestus, so she didn't reply, but nobody gets away with not replying to the Queen of the Gods, and Hera soon knew the truth. She summoned Hephaestus to Olympus. Hephaestus, though, was quite understandably very annoyed with Mummy, so he didn't go. Instead, he pretended to be nice by sending a magnificent golden throne. Hera was delighted, of course, but she soon found the gift wasn't as perfect as she might have thought. When she sat in the throne, it wouldn't let her go. It was as if she was tied to it with invisible ropes. Hera was utterly furious and demanded Hephaestus come and release her. The other gods begged him to release her. Everyone begged him to release her, but the smith god refused. It was Dionysus who solved the problem. He travelled down to see Hephaestus, and they had a good chat and an awful lot of wine. When Hephaestus was good and drunk, Dionysus strapped him to the back of a mule and sent him up to Olympus. Finally he agreed, and he set his mother free. Hephaestus made peace with his mother, and eventually they actually got on pretty well. He was even prepared to stand up to Zeus in order to defend Hera. Zeus once punished his wife for being nasty to Heracles by hanging her by her wrist from Olympus with anvils attached to her feet. This must have been very painful, and Hephaestus protested. Zeus was in one of his more stroppy moods, and he flung Hephaestus off the mountain. It took a whole day for the god to fall to earth, but eventually he landed, very bruised and battered, on the island of Lemnos. He had broken both of his legs, and the islanders looked after him. He was worshipped on the island from that time on. He never fully recovered, he was always crippled and walked with great difficulty. Hephaestus holds a unique record amongst the Olympians. He is the only god who was flung out of the home of the gods twice. Despite his injuries, Hephaestus was powerful. He was the god of fire and, not surprisingly, the patron of blacksmiths and metalworkers. Despite his injuries and the fact that he was short and ugly, Hephaestus was powerful. He was the god of fire and, not surprisingly, the patron of blacksmiths and metalworkers. He could make the most beautiful things and the most useful things from metal. He even made a load of gold mechanical women to help him in his smithy. He helped the Cyclops to make the thunderbolts for Zeus. He made a set of armour for Achilles, and as we have heard, he made the first woman. He also split Zeus's head open so that Athena could be born. Hephaestus was married to Aphrodite, although they had no children. He didn't have many children at all, compared to the other male Olympians. The same cannot be said of Hermes. The messenger of the gods had quite a few. Hermes was the god of boundaries. Whenever the Greeks wanted to mark a boundary, they set up a statue of Hermes. Hermes was also the god of shepherds, land travel, merchants, weights and measures, public speaking, literature, athletics and thieves. He was known to be cunning and very clever. Hermes was the son of Zeus and Maia, 
and was born in a cave on Mount Delini. As soon as he was born, he leapt up from his cradle and began to make mischief. First, he created the musical instrument called the lyre from a tortoise shell, using the insides of a sheep as strings. For a while he was happy making lovely music, but he soon got bored and went off to find someone to annoy. Hermes travelled to Pyria, where Apollo was looking after a magnificent herd of cows. Hermes decided it would be a really good laugh to steal the cows, so he came up with a cunning plan. Late in the evening, he crept into the field and forced the cows to follow him. He carefully brushed away his footprints as he walked out with the cows, and managed to persuade the cows to walk out backwards, so it would look like their hoof prints were facing the other way. This would be very confusing for poor old Apollo. Hermes sacrificed two of the cows to the gods, hid the rest near the river Aphios, and crept back into his cradle. Apollo was mystified and very annoyed. He searched far and wide for his cattle, but he couldn't find them anywhere. Eventually, though, an old man came to him and told him that he'd seen Hermes driving away the cattle. Apollo stormed into Maya's cave and demanded to know where his cows were, threatening to chuck the young god into the underworld. Hermes looked at him innocently. "'Do I look like a strong man who could steal cattle?' he asked. "'I only want sleep, a warm bed, a warm bath and milk.' Apollo thought this was all quite funny, but he still wanted his cattle back. He picked up Hermes and carried him up to Olympus. Zeus could see through the lies and demanded that Hermes give Apollo his cows back. Hermes gave in, and the two gods travelled back to the cave. When they got there, Hermes played a wonderful song on his lyre, full of great stuff about how intelligent, noble and generous the great god Apollo was. Apollo fell for it completely and forgave Hermes. He loved the song so much he told Hermes he could keep the cows if he, Apollo, could have the lyre. The deal was done, but Hermes was not finished. He made another instrument, a shepherd's pipe, and played another beautiful song. Apollo was entranced again. OK, he said, give me the pipe and I will give you my golden staff which I used to herd the cattle, and I will make you the god of herdsmen and shepherds. Hermes agreed again, but only if Apollo would teach him the gift of prophecy. Apollo told him to go to Parnassus, where the Thryae would teach him how to see the future using pebbles. The gods shook hands on the deal and became great friends. They travelled back to Olympus together, where Zeus was highly amused. He told Hermes he was a very intelligent, ingenious and persuasive god, but they had to stop telling lies. Hermes said he'd stop lying, but he couldn't guarantee always to tell the whole truth. Zeus laughed and said that was fine. He welcomed Hermes to Olympus, telling him he now had responsibilities. He gave him sandals with wings and told him he must protect and help travellers. Hermes was very pleased and he enjoyed being Olympian. He went on to have many children, including the goat god Pan and Echion, who would later join Jason on the Argo. Hermes invented astronomy and the alphabet and weights and measures. He created the olive tree and the arts of boxing and gymnastics. It is as the messenger of the gods, though, that he is most well known. He could travel anywhere, including the underworld, and was responsible for guiding the souls of the dead into that dark place. The last of the Olympians came to the home of the gods a little while after the others. The story of his birth is a bit odd. His mother, Semele, had met Zeus when he was in disguise as a mortal and became one of his many girlfriends. Hera found out that she was expecting a child and was, of course, very cross. She disguised herself as an old woman 
and told Samili to ask her boyfriend who he really was and make him reveal himself to her. Zeus, of course, said no, and she tried harder to talk him into it. Eventually she made the king of the gods so angry that he appeared as thunder and lightning and struck her down. The child was saved by Hermes, who sewed him up inside Zeus's thigh. Three months later he was ready, and Hermes delivered him into the world. And that is how Dionysus arrived. Dionysus was the god of many things. He invented wine, but as well as being the god of wine and drunkenness, he represented freedom from everyday cares. He was the god of stage and theatre. Basically, Dionysus was the god of partying and having a good time. Dionysus had a load of followers. There were Maenads, Satyrs and Silens, all celebrating with Dionysus and drinking wine. Sometimes they came upon animals and tore them apart and ate them. The Maenads, known as the Frenzied Woman, wore the skins of young deer and wreaths made of oak. Sometimes they carried snakes which were wrapped around them. They carried Dionysus's magic wand, called the Theosos, and torches. Dionysus spent his early years travelling through Egypt and India and bringing the vine with him so that wine could be made. If anyone got in his way, he generally killed them. The king of Damascus opposed him, and the god had him whipped until he was dead. Dionysus had many adventures while he was travelling the world bringing wine to the people. At one point he was kidnapped by pirates, who thought he looked like somebody royal and they might get a good ransom for him. The helmsman realised that Dionysus was a bit more than just a royal mortal, when the chains which were holding the god fell away of their own accord. He tried to warn the rest of the crew, but they took no notice. They soon realised their mistake. In the middle of the ocean, strange things began to occur. Vines and ivy grew from the mast and the sails. A huge bear appeared on the deck, wine streamed through the ship, and the prisoner turned into a roaring lion and leapt at the pirate captain. All of the sailors jumped overboard to escape, and they were turned into dolphins. It is said that this is why dolphins are so friendly to humans. They used to be humans themselves. Only the helmsman was saved, and he, very sensibly, became a worshipper of Dionysus. Dionysus took on the Amazons, a race of warrior women, and killed loads of them at the battlefield. He marched with King Ammon against the Titans in Libya, and he defeated them too. He invaded Thrace. Dionysus was not to be messed with. Even though he was not to be messed with, Dionysus was always able to persuade the people to worship him. Worshipping Dionysus seems like it would have been quite a lot of fun. It was all festivals and partying, but there were some who didn't want to. The three daughters of Minyas, the king of Orchomenos, were serious girls and preferred to work rather than party, so they ignored the festival of Dionysus. They stayed indoors all day, weaving. Dionysus disguised himself as a young woman and went to see the girls, urging them not to ignore the festival. They still refused, and the god, very angry, turned himself into a bull, then a lion, and then a leopard. He made milk and nectar flow from their weaving looms. The girls were so frightened, they immediately made a sacrifice and went out to join the maenads. Dionysus did not forgive them, and he turned them into a bat, an owl, and a crow. Eventually, people realised that it was better to worship the god of parties than not to, and so he rose up to Olympus to take his place among the Olympians. He fell in love with and married Ariadne and had quite a few children. So now we have met the great Olympians. There were many other gods, some of which we will meet in later chapters as they interfere in the lives of the heroes. 
In the next chapter, we will meet the last of the great gods as we take a journey through the murky depths of the underworld in the company of its king, Zeus's brother, Hades. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.